Welcome to this month's special series, Insights in Future Medicine, on ReachMD XM157. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome today to a special segment on future health. I'm your host, Dr. Danny Petrasic, and with me today, we're very lucky to have Dr. Kenneth Brigham, Professor of Medicine and Vice President of Predictive Health at Emory University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Brigham. Thank you very much. We both share a love for medicine and for science. So one of the key words in your institute, predictive medicine, I think is probably the most important word in science. I mean, I think prediction is what transformed physics from being sort of a mediocre science to being a very mature and powerful science. What do you think the shortcomings in medicine with regard to prediction have been in the past? I mean, what about medicine has been less than successful? Probably the complexities of biology. I mean, the things that we identify that are predictive are the really, really simple things, the very linear things that involve processes that have like a single thing you can measure and it predicts it when biology is a very complex systemic network with many different kinds of influences. And I think we've been limited because we didn't have until fairly recently, you know better than I, didn't have the ability to handle information of that sort of complexity that allows you to assemble predictive models. One of the things that I look for in success in prediction is, for example, in microbiology, we feel pretty certain about the principle of infection, the, the germ theory and so forth. And once we've identified something that we believe is an infected organism, then we, we sort of feel we understand the therapy and then we're able to predict, quote unquote, the, the outcome. Do you think that most medicine is like that or a little bit of medicine is like that? <laughs> I think as we are able to understand the complexities of the system more, that there will be equally robust predictions, but they'll be a lot more complicated. One of my mentors years ago, who was disdainful of statistics, said, well, nobody had to do statistics to prove that penicillin cures pneumonia. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of that principle. <laughs> right. I think that we're going to be able to collect information analyze information in a way that will predict, but it'll, it'll be much more complicated than one organism and one intervention that alters the host organism interaction in a, in a positive way. I just think the systems are going to be much more complex. So what is the approach that you're taking, if you can tell me now, that is going to sort of embrace this complex system? I mean, how is it that you're going to try to attack it that's perhaps different than what people have done before. What we're going to try to do is to integrate a very disparate kinds of information into a, a systemic model that's predictive. We want to know how your social experiences influence your biology and what things can be changed that influence your, your sort of overall healthy state. I think what we're we're trying to do is to collect large amounts of information from health as viewed from many different viewpoints, many different disciplinary viewpoints, and working with people like you and people who do modeling of complex uh, data sets, develop uh, integrative models of health that are really new and novel, and that then can be looked at 
to identify rationales for new kinds of interventions. Very, very interesting. One of the things that I think about when I think about the success in science uh, with respect to prediction is in physics, what really strongly pushed physics to the forefront is the ability to relate mathematical formulas that describe laws or principles of nature. Do you foresee this happening in medicine? I think it will and does, at least in very early stages now. I, I think understanding quantitative and describing in mathematical terms quantitatively biological phenomena and then integrating all that complexity will, in fact, do that. But, of course, the way biomedicine can advance like physics is to find a new Einstein, I suppose. You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Uh, we want to welcome you today to a special on future health. Uh, with me today is Dr. Kenneth Brigham, Professor of Medicine and Vice President of Predictive Health at Emory University School of Medicine. One of the things that I've pondered for a long time, and I'm sure every physician ponders this in one form or another, is if we're going to be able to predict health and predict disease and so forth, one of the requirements for me would be is some kind of working definition of health. Do you feel like such a definition exists, or are we developing such definitions as we work through this? I think that's one of our goals, and I don't think it does exist. I think traditionally we physicians have defined health as the absence of disease. If, if you're not sick, then you're healthy. It's kind of the default situation. And I don't think we have to do that anymore because the tools that are available to look at normal function are much more robust than they've ever been in the past, and, and they get more and more robust with time. So I think that is one of the challenges, is to develop a definition of health that is a positive definition as opposed to a passive definition. Certainly. One of the complaints that I've always had about medicine, being a clinician and, and also at times being a scientist, is that a lot of the measures and the metrics that we have in the clinics are statistically based, whether it's hemoglobin or even height, weight, and BMI, or any sort of clinical measure you can think of, we always have what we call the normal range. Do you think a program like yours is going to make it so that these measures and metrics are more individualized? Is that, is that a possibility? Because I feel often, you know, we, we just judge people. If they fall within the normal range, we regard them as healthy, but we have no real feel about the individual here. That's true, and, and even whether the normal range is really the normal range, whether there are variabilities within the normal range that make a difference. One of the systems biologists at Georgia Tech makes the point that in a complex system that involves interactions of a whole bunch of different processes, you could have a normal range for each one of the variables in that. They could all be within the normal range, but the system malfunction just because variations within a normal range might alter interactions that result in a systemic malfunction. So, yeah, I think the concept of normal range may well change both as a consequence of a more informing analysis of the system and the recognition of individual variabilities. It bothers me a lot, actually, that much of what we do in medicine, even, even therapeutically, is really statistics-based. If you had a drug that decreased incidence of atherosclerosis in people at risk by 10%, 15%, that would be a dynamite drug, and yet many of the people who take it probably don't benefit and are, and are placed at some risk for side effects without the potential of benefit. So if we could really look at individual 
health in measurable quantitative ways, I think it would dramatically change how we deal with health care. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it would really be a big boost to the medical profession to have more confidence in the way we examine patients. I mean, I'm sure you, you would agree with me. There have been cases that you've heard of where a patient in this case would come to a physician's office, get a normal panel of tests, everything falling into the normal range, just as your systems biology colleague suggested, and then dropping dead the next day. Exactly. And then and we were all sitting there scratching our heads. Well, it seemed like he had a perfectly normal exam. Everything seemed normal. And I think that is not only frustrating for the physician, it's tragic that we have to now, you know, sort of explain and, and, and become lawyers to try to wonder, like, you know, what is it that we're doing wrong? Yeah. Somebody said that the human brain can only handle seven or eight things at once, you know. So you can look at a 1,000 measurements, and you can't integrate that information without the help of what's now available, the power of electronics and dealing with complex data sets. So I think that, that as this viewpoint matures and also as the science leads the idea that this idea of complex systems analysis is going to make us look at data related to health in a very different way than we have in the past. What is your view with respect to medical education? Does the center, or the, rather the institute, have a role in affecting, let's say, the early education of new physicians and clinicians, or even, let's say, postgraduate education? Yes, we are in several ways. One is, we think that as healthcare migrates more toward caring for healthy people, that there will be roles for new kinds of healthcare professionals who may not be as elaborately trained as physicians, but will have much more focused training and that physicians will continue to play a role in more complex situations and in situations where health fails. Although the education of the next generation of physicians must, it seems to me, include the kind of concepts that we've been talking about here, because that is where medicine and healthcare is going to go. Then we actually we also are in discussions with the CDC, which is just adjacent to the Emory campus here, about developing a graduate level PhD program in predictive health that would train a different kind of or educate a different kind of person who would have a very broad interdisciplinarity with focuses in foci and special areas. So I think across the spectrum of biomedical education that these concepts must impact it. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that the introduction, let's say particularly of a lot of quantitative methods, has been rather lacking in traditional medical education. It seems that in my experience, since I've had to deal with the physicists and applied scientists on the one hand and the culture of biology and medicine on the other, that they they speak different languages. And the ability for the biologist to speak to quantitative sciences will really enhance, I think, this this program. Yes, yes, I do too. But you're absolutely right. I mean, medicine has this incredibly rich uh, sort of intuitive history that's very romantic. But even the, the age of the sort of grand clinician who by history and pattern recognition could make the difficult diagnosis, I think, is rapidly becoming an antiquated concept, that the ability to obtain quantitative data and then also to have that information available in breadth and depth that it just 
hasn't been available before the age of electronics are really open some enormous opportunities. Dr. Brigham, are there any publications that you have or short articles that would allow our audience to learn a little further about, about this concept? There are several documents, not so much in the broader press, but again, if listeners would go to emory.edu and to the Health Sciences Center and Predictive Health Institute, there are a number of links there that will, that will point you to relevant things. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Kenneth Brigham of Emory University. He is a professor of medicine and vice president of predictive health. You're listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. You've been listening to a special segment on future medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Danny Petrasic. Thank you so much, Dr. Brigham. This has been really enlightening. I enjoyed it very much. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, discusses insights in future medicine.